Warning, the Tub Talk podcast contains language and content that may not be suitable for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. There will also be spoilers for this anime as well as various animes throughout the course of this episode. So please use caution in case we discuss a series that you haven't finished yet. And finally, the opinions expressed are those of the individual participants and may not reflect the Tub Talk podcast as a whole. Enjoy the show. Hello, one and all. Welcome to a very special Dub Talk where on any normal night, a group of people get together and watch anime. However, tonight a couple of foodies are getting together and discuss the latest and greatest in good eating. Yes, that's right. If you're watching this, uh, Happy Thanksgiving, y'all, uh, you, and uh, I hope y'all enjoy your special shopping holidays. It's the uh, day of fry, if you will, and uh, tonight I have with me, <laughs> yes, the day of fry, hosted by a black guy, uh, and tonight I have with me uh, my fellow foodie here, Noah Clue. Look, I know I agreed to be part of uh, Transported to Another World, but I really need to get home. Can you please show me how to get back home? I, I I don't have the key to get through the door. I'm trapped here. I've got bills to pay. Please, somebody let me out of the door. Don't worry, my friend. The uh, next door available will be here in seven days. In so. seven days! Seven days! Seven days! Nobody has time to wait for seven days! <sighs> All right, fine. Okay, I guess everyone, we're going to be recording for seven days straight. So hunker down. This is going to be the longest episode we've ever done. <laughs> I, of course. I don't, I don't think uh, YouTube or any uh, hosting platform would even let you have an episode that is, uh, was that, 24 times 7. A, uh, 168 hours? Uh, 168 hours. Have you ever seen anyone try to upload something that long? You you joke. I've seen a... a, a, a I see the achievement hunter. The the they uploaded an episode. They did a live stream, a thirty-seven and a half hour live stream playing Udo Infinite. <laughs> Holy shit! Okay, so maybe there are exceptions. Uh, let's try to go a little shorter than that, if it's possible. Yeah, because it's just the two of us. I mean, we can make it if we try. Yeah. Just the two of us, Can't you and I. If we try, just the two of us. Well, I'm glad to be here. So thank, thank you for inviting uh, the other one of the foodies of the podcast. I know a couple of people on Dub Talk are big into cooking and eating. We have an entire foodie chat in our Discord. But oh, yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's uh, been something that I know you and I are both very much into. Um, and you're, uh, yeah, this, this is a, a good particular show to cover for foodies in particular. What is that show? Yes, tonight we will be covering the show Restaurant to Another World. And judging by the title, yes, it is an isekai, but not just any isekai. No! No, no, what not is, is, isekai. <laughs> <laughs> what it is, is... It's a it's an isekai, it's a reverse isekai, it's also an yashike, which is a healing anime, basically, you know. You know, chicken soup for the soul, that kind of thing. Chicken curry for the soul. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, yes, uh, as contrast to a lot of uh, popular isekai nowadays, like uh, Konosuba, Goblin Slayer, Shield Hero, a lot of those ones that have questionable reputations. Uh, this is a show that is about 
not fighting demons exactly. It's about eating and culinary cuisine and sharing a meal with friends in a nice little diner. So uh, I, I, I joke a little bit about Isekai like, no, but no, no, this is a nicer entry into that genre, thankfully. Yes, uh, it, it is very wholesome on the surface, but there is there are some deep connections to what to it. Just so you know, do it's funny because when I watch this, it's one of those shows where it doesn't seem like a central plot except for the food. But when you start getting into it, just like food, there's like a deeper connection to everything, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that this is a show that um. It says restaurant to another world, um, and the other world happens to be our world, but the characters who come in to eat are part, they're from like a medieval setting. Like, you know, this could have been anywhere, but no, the, the original author decided that this is going to be uh, medieval characters, sword and sorcery and wizards, elves and vampire setting, coming to a restaurant that serves food from our dimension. So that gives it, uh, you know, a bit of a familiar setting like these are tropes you've heard of before you've just never seen them all sit down to enjoy let's see what kind of meals do we enjoy uh curry rice fried seafood crepes and pork soup around a table yeah basically <laughs> man oh man i could i'm not gonna i could sit here all night and talk about food but uh, oh, okay <laughs> But I spent the last three days serving up customers, and right now I just want relax and chill with a comfort food anime. Yes, let's do that. <laughs> yeah, so speaking of serving up dishes, we should... Oh, I should... Oh, silly me, I forgot to read the synopsis of this show. Oh, yeah, for... go ahead. I also forgot to write one down. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not, I don't think there are any websites that have... Uh, show synopsize anywhere. Uh, I, I, you're just gonna have to make up one on top of your head. It's not like you can go to a network of news for anime that can have one pulled up for you. You joke, but I'm going to Anime Planet. There's a certain restaurant in the first basement level for multi-tenant building in one corner of a chopping street in the office district. Hold right, on, let me take a swig of water. <laughs> this historical 70-year-old restaurant Marked by the side with a picture of a cat, it's called Western Restaurant Nicoya. This restaurant looks completely normal through the week, but on Saturdays, it opens in secret exclusively to some very unique guests. During these hours, doors in various areas of a parallel world open to allow customers of many different races and cultures into the restaurant. So yes, that, he ain't kidding, people. That is the entire plot right there. Mm-hmm. And that's the show. Yeah, it is. There, There is a bit of uh, backstory going on with the uh, medieval setting. Like, uh, there's some kingdoms that are trying to uh, uh, become peaceful with each other. There are some characters who are, like, advancing in their development. Like, some of that's going on in the background. But they're all tied together by everyone getting together in this restaurant from our world. Yes, and from one dimension to the other, let's get right into things, shall we? Yes. First, we're going to be talking about the staff behind the scenes of this restaurant show, our ADR directors and scriptwriters. Now, interesting thing to note, this we're covering both seasons of the show, all 24 episodes. The first season was done in 2017, 
uh, produced by a studio called Silver Lake, mm-hmm. and it was dubbed at by then known as Funimation. Well, they were still known as Funimation the whole time throughout this dub. And this dub was directed by Alexis Tipton with Jamie Markey writing scripts. Alexis Tipton, you've seen her direct other shows such as A Couple of Cuckoos, The Dragon Ghost House Hunting, Sunny Boy, and World End. And Jamie Markey's also written scripts for You Got an HK, Baka and Test, Brothers Conflict, Snow White, Snow White with the Red Hair, and Spice and Wolf. I'm glad uh, you mentioned Spice and Wolf. I, I, I'm sorry, I, I'm going to mention Spice and Wolf a couple of times in the discussion. I'm glad you mentioned that, because that's another medieval setting story that revolves heavily around people trying to get food. So it, it's very fitting that Jamie was tied into this particular show as well. Yes. And season two of this dub actually came out last November, actually. Yes, it did. Uh, um, oh. I th- No, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. You mean the dub or the original series? Uh, the Japanese. Yes. Uh, the the show itself kind of switched productions from Silver Lake to OLOM. That's the people behind both Pokemon and the mixed anime. And probably Cross Game 2, but I'm not familiar with that. The dub was also handled by Funimation before the uh, untimely passing. Are they really pass? I mean, it, it just got eaten by the Crunchyroll machine. Yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's it's just it's very hard to take a company that's been around for a very long time who didn't go out of business like. Uh, like ADV or Bandai or any of those ones. Like, no, it just got, like, swallowed up into the machine of a bigger studio. So it feels weird to say that Funimation doesn't exist anymore, even though you're technically right. Yeah. And, uh, but still, what's still standing is that the dub is mostly a Texas dub with a direction from Caitlin Glass, who was assisted by Emmy Lowe. And this time around, scriptwriter is uh, Jessica Slice. That is Jessica Slice, who actually guys. I'll, <laughs> I'll trip that part up. <laughs> that, anyway. No, thank you for telling me that, because I, I saw the spelling, and I'm like, it's slews, right? But no, you corrected me, and it's like, no, it's it's slice, like guys. So thank you for correcting me, and anyone else listening who may not know how that's pronounced. Yeah, just remember, five guys, burgers, and fries. Think of it that way. We get some burgers in this episode. Yeah, we do. <laughs> uh, Caitlin Glass, you've seen her direct other shows such as Fruits Basket 2019, Horror Mia, Maria the Virgin Witch, and Show by Rock. Uh, her sisters, Emmy Lowe, you've seen them direct other shows such as Geki Doll, Mike of the Kings, Shadow's House. Saying yesterday for me, tacked up destiny to them a few. Basically, most of the uh, assistant roles has been working under Caitlin. Interesting. So it would be fair to call Emmy a sous chef under Caitlin Glass, basically. So, yes, basically. And Jessica Slice has written for other stuff such as After School Dice Club, Chainsaw Man, which was just recently airing. <laughs> Horror Mia, Conquer Your Summer, Love is War, my favorite script of all time. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it is a trip, man. And Sabi Queen Bisco, aka the show about mushrooms and rust. 
I haven't seen that one. In fact, I have. Three... I... Yeah, I've you... I've only seen one episode of Sammy Queen Bisco, but uh, it is pretty weird. It's enjoyable, cur- but it's pretty weird. Is that currently airing? Uh, it aired already uh, earlier this year. I remember that. Okay, I was wondering if it was in that mix of things that are coming out this year, uh, this season that I missed out on. Because for, for those listening, we're recording this in the middle of the fall season which is jam-packed with way too many things that nobody can keep up with so there's probably some good stuff that's just getting overlooked because it's being you know surpassed by mob psycho 3 and the second season of spy family and chainsaw man and bochi the rockstar and every other thing that's at the top of the list right now yeah basically must be jam-packed because jellies don't shake like that (laughs) there was another episode in here that was all about jelly which one was that yeah. episode? That was, uh, what was that called? Pr- was, Princess uh... Jellyfish. No, no, the, the episode in here, um, Fruit Jelly. Oh, oh, that's what it was yeah, Fruit Jelly. Sorry, yeah, I yeah. Like well the show. <laughs> contrary to popular belief, um, jellyfish don't actually move like the product of jelly. In fact, they're very, uh, uh, lace material. Kind of, uh, we're not doing that episode again. That was a completely different topic. Yeah, basically. So, what are our thoughts on this on the uh, ADR staff? Well, um, so spaced out over a couple of years in putting the whole dub together, the first thing I want to point out is that there's barely any noticeable change between seasons one and season two. Um, I was uh, watching the whole show back to back, um, not when it came out. So I was looking to see if there's like any noticeable change, and I couldn't really hear one. The direction. Uh, the performances, the writing, most of that sounded very uniform between the two seasons. The only thing that sounded possibly different um, was that it felt like the mixing was a little louder in season two. I'm not sure if that was just in the first season and I just got used to it after that, but there just seemed to be a bit of a spike in audio. But the big thing to notice is that the uh, Alexis and Caitlin's direction for this ensemble cast, because there's a lot of characters in this show, a lot of different people come to the restaurant, is very uniform between them. They get that the appeal of the show is multiple characters bouncing off each other and expressing their delight at these different dishes, explaining the texture, the flavor, the appeal. And so uh, that's commendable with there being a four-year gap between the two productions. There's nary a sound difference between the two, at least to my ears. Did you uh, feel there was any difference between the two seasons? No, I thought everything was consistent from start to finish, even though it's only four years apart. I would admit, though, however, there was one thing that really stood out to me, but I think that was more on a season one with uh, Alexis and Jamie, because... Okay, there's no one specific narrator, but I did think the one, one part of Jamie Marquis' writing I really enjoyed was mm. when she did that narration in episode four about with the, the om- lizard With the omelet yeah. and the lizard bit. That was and an I, interesting... Yeah. Yeah. I think that was p- partly because Alexis casted her, so that way she know what words to put in her mouth, basically. It was definitely a carryover from the original Japanese, because that's the only episode where there is a narrator explaining the the material uh, almost documentary style, because as we find out, the lizard people don't speak 
uh, very good English. They, like, have broken English. So we needed, apparently, some narrator, some nebulous voice. We needed Jamie to tell us this is uh, how they express themselves. This is how they slap their tails to express their delight. And this is how they decide who's going to be the lucky one to go through the door to get the omelet rice for the whole tribe. Oh, yeah. Speaking of lizard men and mixing, I had them on the list, but I kind of took them off last minute. Uh, Tyson Reinhardt's Kagampo. Now, is that who that was? Okay. That, that was the lizard man that was ordering the omelets. Now, okay. when you see him in the village, he's speaking normally. But when he's going to the restaurant, he speaks with kind of this, like, a husky kind of deep voice. Kind of gra very gravelly. It's like, it's almost like a... What if the God of Death had... I can't say what if the God of Death has a voice. The, the God of Death's also in this show, but we'll get to her next. Uh, it's just very... I just like how he switched between the two voices. I was like, wait, is that even the same person? But yeah, the the mixer didn't feel off. The mixer was actually quite nice. The writing, there wasn't really much to stand out on other than at least they didn't like take too much of a regal approach with these characters. Oh, you mean, and, um, like, the, uh, the regal noble characters, the ones who are, like, princesses or royalty characters? Yeah, basically. Because, you know, it has to be not only, uh, comprehensible, but you also want to, like, be able to, like, pro help project their thoughts and feelings on uh, not, all, not only all these dishes, but uh, their daily lives as well. And it wouldn't kind of make sense if they just spoke, like, with a... Like, an air of regalia, you know? Well, there's different classes of characters, too. There's, um, there's dwarf no, characters, there, yeah, there's, um, uh, fighter characters, there's mercenary characters. So, yeah, it wouldn't make sense for all of them to have, um, the same level of, like, a, a faux British accent to portray the, like, medieval setting. Basically, um, dial back the Shakespearean, you know? You don't have, you don't just speak normally, but you speak with, uh, informal kind of tone oh yeah definitely there's a very um vernacular way of speaking no, yeah you're right nobody speaks in a uh like refined dialect no matter their class because this is supposed to be a diner that suits like the the average person um if you compare a uh, restaurant to another world to a show like food wars which we covered years ago for thanksgiving uh, those were dishes that were very complex to make and a lot of them were made with ingredients that uh, the average person wouldn't normally try. Whereas this is a show where all the meals are very basic diner foods, uh, prepared very well, but not very complex. So I feel like it, it does enhance the the level of uh, every man-ness that the show is going for by having the characters speak in a basic vernacular pattern. Like you were saying, not Shakespearean, more basic sounding. Yeah, basically... But other than that, everything was uh, pretty solid. I know with direction, Caitlin, Emily would do a pretty great job. Caitlin's one of the best in the biz. Alexis Tipton, I know this was the season one was like four years ago, but this was when uh, she was starting to get into directing. So it was, I really? even yeah, because I know some of the earlier stuff like a uh, Masamune Kun's Revenge, which that was kind of controversial among us sometimes. She did a pretty good job on that dub, it's just the show as a whole was not something we'd really want to watch. 
But I knew as time went on, she filed her footing with this show, and uh, it was a shame we missed it the first time around because it was it was it was very tough. She was starting to uh, what's the word? What's the word? She was starting to break out basically. Like as time went on, you know, the director jobs were, I guess, few and far between until she came back with a. Sunny Boy, basically. Sunny Boy, the Dragon Ghost House Hunting. I heard, I heard they're both very good dubs. I just haven't had the time to watch them. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll check them out someday. Not too worried. It, you don't have to apologize. That's the motto of every anime fan. I This sounds great. I just haven't had the time to get to it yet. Because there's too much being created. You won't have time to get to everything. Even the really good stuff. You know, there's only 24 hours in a day. We've established there's only 162 hours in a week. There's just some stuff that's going to slip through the cracks. 168, but who's counting? Yeah, it's, I, who it's, is it's, it's, it's not just that. It's like some things aren't going to appeal to everybody. So you got to pick and choose, you know. Good point. Yeah. Good point. Uh, speaking of picking and choosing, are uh, we good to move on? Well, the last thing I wanted to ask you about is, um, how did you feel about the way that they adapted how the uh, the fantasy world has different words for the same things we have in this world? Uh, for example, they don't call it, the restaurant doesn't appear on Saturday, it appears on the day of Satter, which that threw me for a couple of episodes because I thought, wait, are they trying to say Seder? like, Jewish Seder dinner, and then I realized, oh, wait, no, they're trying to say, once every seven days, day of Satter, Saturday, or, like, how uh, some of the foods, like, onions, tomatoes, vegetables, meats, have different words than their uh, English counterparts. Um, did you feel that that was adapted well in the English dub? Having taken years of speech therapy and uh, to, uh adapt to certain languages. Yeah, I do feel they did that pretty well because that those are the kind of things I could kind of pick up on pretty, pretty quickly, like Shripe. Uh, mm-hmm. I forgot what they used for Onion, but I had recognize it was like oh, Yeah, it was like Orion uh, something. Yeah, yeah, the, um, yeah a very deliberate attempt to uh, address the fact that why would people in a fantasy world have the same names for food as our world if they develop different cultures, basically. The one that kind of took me a while to get used to was a cobless tubers, because I thought it was like, cobless cob- <laughs> cobless tubers. I thought they would, I thought they would call it potatoes corn, to be honest, but no, it's a cobless tubers. Yeah. There's so much, yeah. so many bees in there. <laughs> I mean, I, it makes sense that, like, you know, potatoes are tubers, and it's like, okay, yeah. so, it, they could have translated that as, like, Peasants tubers or commoners I, tubers, something like I that. I say, I say cobblers is cobblers tubers. Right. No, Cob- I know that they went with cobblers. I'm saying they could have translated it with something, to, just to emphasize that it's something that low class people eat. Well, cobbler is kind of a low class thing. Like if you ever see the cobbled street, that kind of thing, you know. No, I I get that. I'm saying that the 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 choice of the dubbing crew to go with the word cobbler uh, as opposed to, like, commoner or peasant was an interesting choice. Um, and as yeah. you emphasized, it, it's there's a lot of bees in that in the, the way that that's spoken. It's like, that's a tongue twister right there. But um, I, I, I wanted to note that it was very... Um, 
a, a simple, effective, not very complex, but basic way to get across that, yes, this is a fantasy world that doesn't have all the same rules as our world does. Um, another example is they don't call them vampires in the second season. They call them, like, the dark, uh, what's it called, like, the dark race or, like, the, what was the term for it? There's a, there's a special term that the girl who, like, chose to become a vampire went with. Just just to emphasize that same tropes, but different words as what we're used to. Uh, the Black I, Brood. The, also thank you. Vampire Nation. Thank you, Black Brood. Yeah, so it's like, we, yeah, we can pick up like, okay, claws, teeth, wings, you're a vampire. Like, we don't, we don't need to have that spelled out, but we get it, you're a vampire. But you guys call it Black Brood. Like, it's those little things that's peppered throughout the dub that I feel like if it wasn't written well by uh, Jamie or Jessica, that it could have been difficult for the audience to uh, bridge that gap. But I think that they did it pretty well. So th there's very little difficulty, I feel, in an English speaker understanding this dub, given the, uh, the complexity of... It's a fantasy world, and how does it relate to the real world? To our world, I'm sorry. I don't mean our world is the real world. There are lots of worlds. We're not the only I, world. Anyway, I'm glad you mentioned the vampires, because that's another thing, too, because on one hand, you have vampires, and on the other hand, with a Romero and Julieta, who we're not talking about, they, <laughs> I, I think they called themselves the Black Boom, because it's much like the elven races in this show, you know it? They're all from uh, different walks. Not all elves are the same. So, which yeah. uh, shout out to Zeno Robinson and Marissa Duran. Y'all were great, <laughs> especially you, Zeno. As a Vantus, talk about Vantus no card. I thought it was Vantus a la carte. Oh, that's a triple layered reference there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but other than that, everybody did a pretty good job. From Alexis to Jamie to Caitlin and Emmy and to Jessica, who I'm pretty sure is, loves my these uh, slice of life kind of shows, if you will. Yeah, See, this is yeah, th this is kind of a slice of life show. You know, it's not plot heavy. It's just sit down and eat foods in a restaurant kind of show. Did you get the joke though? Slice of oh oh oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, you had to spell it out for me for me to get, like, oh, okay, I, no, I get it now. Anyways, speaking of slices, uh, we good to move on? <laughs> yes, we are good to move on. So, as we've established, we're not going to be covering every character in the show. We don't have, we do not we're have not? time for that. We're, we're not? But, but ain't nobody I, got, I know, ain't nobody <laughs> got time for that. If there is somebody we do want to mention, we'll, we'll do, we can do that in passing, you know, just Put them yeah. out throughout throughout the whole show because uh, yeah, yeah, it's an ensemble show. There's there's a lot of different patrons, and I think the way that we had uh, decided is that if a character shows up multiple times, then we'll devote a section to talking about them. If they're one shot characters, we may mention them in passing, but not necessarily. Yeah, multiple times, or if they're integrated into the core of the show, which we'll get to later. Mm -hmm. Uh, starting off, let's talk about our uh, restaurant staff. All right. We have uh, Master, who's 
took over the restaurant 10 years ago from his uh, deceased grandfather. Mm-hmm. Worked under him as an apprentice uh, at one point. <laughs> oh, it's an interesting story to be had about here, but, you, but you'd never notice unless you were paying attention. Uh, one day, he, hi- he has a new hire. He hires a demon girl that suddenly just walked into a restaurant named Elena. Elena is a human born with the blessing of a de- the demon's blessing, which causes her to manifest horns in her head. Uh, as a result, she was discriminated in her village and essentially kind of forced out, which is just a shame. But, you know, it is. Just a sweet girl, just trying to get by, but, you know, she has to hide who she is just to survive. The only thing that she does that really emphasizes her connection to the demons is that when they're about to eat, she doesn't pray to God. She doesn't thank a a holy religion. She thanks the Dark Lord for the food that they're about to eat. God, demons is great. God, demons is good. (laughs) I love that because it's so cheery. It's like, this is who I pray to, and thank you for putting food on my plate. Uh, Don't think there's anything wrong with this. And there's not. You know, pray to whoever you feel blessed you with good food. Oh, yeah, that's the rest of the vibe. God, the demons is great. God, the demons is good. Thank you for this food. Let us draw inside this plate. (laughs) Oh, thank you for inside this plate. Uh, Yeah, speaking of demons... uh, Yes. About, what was it, episodes? I think it was episode six from that. Nope, episode seven, the chicken curry episode. (laughs) Oh, yes, it was the chicken curry episode. Uh, We also have another new hire, Kuro, whose real alias is the Black Dragon, one of the uh, six dragons that defeated the uh, Chaos Monster. Mm -hmm. Uh, As a result, the humans that were born in the alternate world uh, are kind of weak and uh, to put it simply she's basically the what if typhoid mary got a food license uh, her uh, ability is so strong that uh, it kind of kills any humans she kind of touches so she casts herself she self exiles herself to a destructive part of the moon out in the edge of space and all of a sudden, the uh, media crashes out there one day, the door to another world opens up. And uh, she shows up <laughs> in a birthday suit. Yeah, yeah. Well, she's not well, the only well, one no. who does she transforms, she transforms into an elf to show up in a birthday suit, but she's not the only one. Yeah, that's uh, that element right there, if I can pause for a divergent, is uh, one element of the show that kind of separates it from the um, the healing anime crowd. Healing anime crowds aren't usually horny. They're usually very chaste and very pure, whereas this show is very full of booby-tastic... You, you don't see nipples, exactly. You, you see no nudity, but it makes no... It's not afraid to have some characters be semi-nude or very voluptuous. There, there's some characters who you see, like, they're silhouettes. And Kuro's introduction is a good example of that. Uh, it's just, it's kind of an element of the anime that you have to get used to. So that that's the, the PG-13 element. In case there's anyone listening out there who's wondering if you can show this to children, that would be the part that you need to be worried about. Yeah, uh, six, seven, and a uh, latest narration of the uh, steam potatoes episode. <laughs> that that was uh, interesting um, visuals they went with on the steam potato side. 
but um, but sorry anyways you're talking about this trio who mans the restaurant or demons the restaurant rather yeah, it's kind of funny, because... And that's another thing, too. They only show just Master working. They, I, as far as I know, this, there are no other employees other than Elena and Kuro. I know, that's so wild. Like, can you imagine, like, before Aletta and Kuro showed up, that he was just doing all of the serving and the preparing of food and the cleaning all by himself? Well, with an eatery response, that is kind of possible. I've seen some clips on the... YouTube of uh, eateries like that in Japan. There's also uh, the well that uh, when you get a chance to give out to it, uh, the great Jahi will not be defeated. It's also kind of similar too because it's one employee and two for the house staff, and they just have to handle all these customers. It is manageable in a way, but that is uh, that is something for another time. But. Fair Play, but play the restaurant staff. Master is played by Christopher Sabin. Aletta is played by Joe Harris. And Kuro is played by Monica Rial. Uh Christopher Sabin, you've heard him as Ukiyo Asahida in Brothers Conflict. And Ayame Soma in Fruits Basket. <laughs> Fruits Basket. I'm just laughing for the Fruits part. I, that show itself is nothing to laugh at. It's, it's not. It's, I'm only laughing because you keep bringing up Brothers Conflict. You mentioned it in the writing section, and now you mentioned it here. And I'm like, why do you keep going back to the worst reverse harem ever made? I, I know what you're thinking, and I'm just picking shows we both recognize. Fair enough. <laughs> I wish I didn't recognize it, but I can't fault you for that. Uh, Joe Harris, you've heard this Dwell Silver, Black Clover, and Naho in Orange. Uh, Mike, y'all, no citation needed, but just in case you, <laughs> I've just never in, heard of this actress before. Could you mention maybe two or 20 things she's been in before? Uh, Kaede Kaido, the assassination classroom, and Suyu Asui in My Hero Academia. That's, that's fair enough. I'm, I'm looking at my shelf right now. I'm like, huh, let me see here. Uh, Panty stocking. Yep, she was stocking in that. Uh, Angelic Lair, all the way back in the ADV days. Yeah, she was a character in that. Yeah, she, you're right. No citation needed. Monica Rial, more powerful than God oh, in the voice man. acting sphere. I, I just realized another <laughs> show I need to finish, too. Oh. The Which Demon Goat Next Door Season 2. Because <laughs> she's also a demon in that, and at one point, she's also working at a restaurant. <laughs> well, she... Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> Eventually, all demons start working at restaurants. I'm pretty sure they worked in a restaurant in one episode of Panty and Stocking as well, which is fitting because how does that show end? Uh, his stocking gets turned into a bunch of jelly cubes. Yep, is, and Monica is... says to the camera, I'm also a demon. So. Oh, wait, no, Panty gets turned into a bunch of cubes, and Stocking does her in. And yes. Stocking's the food addict. Yes, she is. Just like in the well, she's not a food addict in this show. She she's a she's an addict of one particular food, uh, which is another quirk of this show in that all the characters have names, and we can mention those as we go along. But they refer to each other, uh, the the patrons refer to each other by their preferred favorite food. Everybody's got a favorite food. So if uh, Kuro was going to re be referred to by anyone. She'd be referred to as chicken curry by everyone because she loved that spicy chicken curry that they make on her first day. 
For two hours straight, she ate that curry. Absolutely. That was a lot of plates. That's like... Uh, uh, the poor guy uh, was it Alphonse who said he was going to front her bill because he was so yeah. happy to see her enjoying it. He went broke. The poor man went broke that day. Partially, uh, we'll get to that part of the story later. Yes, yes, we will. So, but so what? As, sorry, yeah, go ahead. What, well, what what did you think of these three? Um, since these are the three recurring characters who are, you know, in every episode from their introduction onwards. How did you feel? Uh, Christopher Sabin was nice and charming. Wasn't a lot to him, or not yet. Uh, chill as a letter. And just always manages to play the very nice but very anxious types of characters, you know. It's basically, I would say it's kind of a true-to-life thing if you know it actor and you know the types of characters they play but sometimes actors are not always their characters actually no a lot of times actors are not always most characters, of so. <laughs> yeah exactly we have to emphasize that at conventions actors have to emphasize guys yes. i appreciate you enjoy my character but i am not that character so ba basically is you is the misnomer if you are what you eat which kind of applies to this show is because is is basically tell me what you eat tell me what you eat and i'll tell you what you are Mm -hmm. Which somehow became you are what you eat, which is not the same thing, especially when it comes to characters and actors too. So, but well, but Joe did a very good job as a letter. Yeah, she yeah she doesn't. Um, uh, I didn't peg her as like she was gonna have a whole lot of personality throughout the show, um, because like I, I kind of figured from early on that we needed a blank slate waitress character. As just like a nice face to say hello to the the rotating cast of characters as they come in, and she was that. But what I love about Jill's performance is that she's kind of a dork. Like there are yeah. certain scenes where she, yeah she gets excited about uh, food, um, like the different dishes, because she's getting to try lots of really good, well prepared meals, and she she gets to display the joyful glee that your average person would display when they get to try that. One line that I really love is the cookies episode, uh, episode eight, where um, the chef gives her a box of cookies for getting a full-time job, and her line delivery is basically, I'm going to treasure these forever. No, actually, that's not true. I'm going to eat them all right now. Like, just the, the, little, the little break of her nice girl routine to show that, you know, she's got, like, a dorky side to her. I love when Jill does that, and that really elevates Aletta's character from just a nice Moe girl into, like, a more humanized portrayal of an actual working student. Because she's, like, basically portrayed as, you know, a, almost like a, a college student who's just working a job to get by in life. What's a student? What's college? <laughs> yeah, that's another question. Uh, I, I fully expected there to be like a, a spin-off of this show that was like a, a chibi version of Aletta going to, um, you know, human school and trying to fit in. Like, almost like uh, Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid. Okay, well, two things. One, I said that because that was an actual thing that was uttered in season two. <laughs> that It was, you're right, in the very first epi in episode of season two. And uh, the second thing is, there actually is kind of a spinoff. Uh, I think it's of the manga version, but we'll get to that uh, at the end. Okay. Yeah. 
I, I really like how Joe, like Joe portrays this character. I guess to tell me what you eat now, tell you what you are mentality. Because when somebody is that anxious, that kind of down to look, you know, it's like nothing's gonna stop her. She's gonna keep on trying her best, no matter no matter how other people may treat her. You know. Mm-hmm. But what right. I but what I kind of funny is of the three, I think the standout here is uh, Monica is cool because for one thing. Kuro doesn't speak with her mouth. Kuro speaks with a lot of telepathy. <laughs> I gotta say, I, I think Monica did a great job with the lip flaps in this show. Like, nothing was off. I, I couldn't notice a change between the lip flaps and her dialogue. It was perfect. Like, you could tell this woman's been doing this for a while. You joke, but there were two epis- the last two episodes at the end of season one, she actually started speaking with her mouth. <laughs> That's true, you're right. That there are scenes, you're right. If you watch the animation, yeah. Because the funny thing is, there was a running gag in the manga. I read. Well, I didn't read the manga. I just read about that gag that was in the manga, where apparently that she would be able to serve the the customers to order before they would order it. There's only been one scene where that's happened in season two. That's with uh, Lionel ordering his a uh, pork is cut, pork cut, yeah, pork cut bowl. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, uh, excuse me. And then the uh, coach just had to him his food. And he's like, hey, how'd you know? <laughs> Which, honestly, like, you don't even need telepathy for that. Because all he orders, all the lion guy orders is pork cutlet bowls. So that's like, I don't feel like that's a, a power of telepathy. That's more of a, huh, if I don't know what this guy wants by this point, I'm not good at my job. You say that, but that that was also a common thing with the other customers because up until like the end of season two, they just kept ordering the same thing. There wasn't yep. really yep. any there wasn't really any difference in what they ordered except for two characters, but that we'll get to them later. Yes, we will. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, yeah. Now, do, do I agree that uh, Kuro that Monica's Kuro is the standout? Um, I feel like um, Aletta gave Jill more to work with. So oh, in yeah, that definitely. sense, like, yeah, because uh, Kuro's performance is like, um, it's it's still using Monica's her normal voice, which is a little bit higher pitched, um, but like the drier, um, more not monotone, but um, like laid back portrayal because she's I, the cool, calm, collected character. I think I I, I agree with you. It's just the reason I said that is because. Kuro kind of goes to a bit of character growth on her own because I know when it came down to the chicken curry when the Red Queen uh, spoke to her, she talked, she discussed how things worked in the other world with uh, mm-hmm. the restaurant. And, uh, Money! She, yeah, so she kind of took it to heart what she said about working for the master and protecting the restaurant, which she did a few times with a few of the sirens, the vampires... Just making sure that nobody harms this restaurant. And there was a very good reason why we get to the Red Queen, too. So, I mean, uh, discounting even those, like, the part that stood out to me for um, how she's keeping everyone safe is... uh, It's the episode where the cat girl returns. Oh, yeah. With With her friends. Yeah, in the... Actually, it's both uh, both of those halves of the episodes, because I don't think we mentioned this. Each episode has two halves that are separate from each other. Uh, don't necessarily connect to each other. So each episode, each 24-episode 
show is like two 12 minute episodes glued together. But in that same episode, it's like episode eight of the second season, Kuro mentions to the characters there's no fighting allowed in this eatery. And that's the first time that that's really brought up. She tells the new vampire girl, Ron uh, Rorona, not to fight. And she also takes away the weapons of the three friends of Hilda who are there for cheesecake. Because, yeah, her role in the restaurant is to not allow there to be any fighting. So, yeah, you're right. She has that very specific role that no one else on staff can possibly fill. Yeah, basically. Mm -hmm. Now, I feel like it's interesting that we've spent all this time talking about the two waitresses, Aletta and Kuro, and we don't really have that much to say about the chef. And I feel like there's a very good reason for that, because the chef doesn't really have a whole lot of character. He doesn't even have a name. Which is, which is sad, because his relatives uh, has names, and, uh, well, I'll get more to his relatives in the next section, but, uh, mm -hmm. it's also a Junichi Suwabe character, so if It's a not... Junichi Suwabe character, yes it is. I'm glad you mentioned that. So, if it's not anything big he's doing, it's not gonna be a as important, but, you know, the chefs are always behind the scenes, you know. Mm -hmm. Working hard, so it's a thankless job, basically. Oh, it is definitely a thankless job, and he's definitely working for uh, below his pay grade. He could be charging way more for these dishes. I just feel it's interesting, uh, from a writing perspective, that the the author of the stories and the adapters of the anime decided not to give the chef character very much in the ways of you know a conflict or a personality of any kind. I compare this directly to another show that you and I have talked about before, Konohana Kitan. That's a show oh, that yeah. also had, yeah, that had, uh, you know, a wait staff taking care of patrons. And, you know, those uh, people, the fox spirits from that show, had a whole lot of personality. We followed their personality throughout the show and that carried each individual episode. Whereas in this, the staff decided that the chef is crucial to hold the restaurant together but we're not here to explore his personality, his conflict. We see a couple of episodes where Chris gets to explain how he may be a little tired and, you know, he's working really hard at this, but he never seems to struggle. He's always on top of things and never lets the pressures of this job get to him. Yeah. I think one of the things is that I forgot to bring this up. It's, uh, I think the reason why... The eatery kind of functions the way it does is he probably has like a type of system in place because I remember years ago back in culinary school there was a video I watched of this one restaurant in New York every week they changed out the menu for something different or some type of cuisine or maybe like something seasonal and I thought it was kind of insane what the way they were doing it but they somehow managed to function I think that's probably how the master functions as well really Probably. I, I'd have to find that for you. It's been a long time. Well, it's interesting. I find that interesting because uh, one thing that... Um, I haven't gone to culinary school, so I do not have the level of experience that you do. Um, my mom, though, did work as a restaurant manager for many years. She worked as a restaurant manager at a Bill Knapp's here in West Michigan and then at a local Holland eatery. Um, and one thing that I know was kind of emphasized a lot was 
if you don't have uh, a, a very specific vision for your restaurant, basically, if you have a lot of dishes, then people are going to have a hard time knowing what it is that your, uh, your restaurant is, basically. Whereas this restaurant in this show has a lot of everything. Like, we've gone through the list of everything on there. There doesn't seem to be a limit on what they've got on here. But it's interesting you bring up that idea that sometimes a restaurant for one day of the week will change out their menu to something very different from what they normally do. Because that's just contrary to what I thought was the way you're supposed to run a restaurant. Yeah, it's each show. You're right. You're right. It's... It's, and speaking of to each their own, uh, let's move on to our uh, creep of the crop, our characters here. Now, uh, yes. we're going to be doing this in the two groups. All right. We have uh, we have those behind the scenes, uh, pretty much the uh, major players, I, I guess you could say. Like the, the ones who show up the most throughout the show. Yes, and somewhere kind of integral into this restaurant. Mm -hmm. uh, starting off, we have the four heroes. Uh, now, I have to put a big asterisk in there. <laughs> okay, let me explain. So the four heroes, basically, 70 years ago, they defeated the demon god of mm -hmm. the other world. However, as a result, uh, a wormhole was opened up and their leader, Yobi, was lost. Yes. Turns out, Yobi survived, and she, through the wormhole, came to our world, where she met a man named Daiki Yamagata. Not Daiki Yamashita, like I put the guide one time. <laughs> That's a seiyu. <laughs> that, yeah, Daiki Yamagata. Uh, they basically fell in love, got married, mm -hmm. had a couple of kids. Randy... Restaurant together was to restaurant the courier, and it turns out she still he she had still retained a little bit of her magic, which mm -hmm. is part which is part of what that wormhole was. The wormhole was actually the door itself. Actually, no, the wormhole became the door to the other world. Yeah, and that's the most that we learn, if I understand correctly, just from the anime. Because I, I haven't read spoilers from the manga. I'm sorry, not the manga, the uh, the web novel itself. Yeah, that's like that all from, we. So. Yeah, that's all we know about how this restaurant works. Like, in the show, it's never really explained why this this door to this restaurant works the way it does, why it only shows up once a week. Even the chef himself admits, I really don't know how it works. It just kind of does what it does. Yeah, I don't think that's ever, I don't think that's ever explained to him until the last episode of Season 2 where his grandmother walks by. Yes, I said his grandmother. Uh, she had a couple kids, and uh, one of the kids had a master. Don't ask me what happened to the parents, because either I don't know or I'm not spoiling. It, it's not important. It's like Huey, Dewey, and Louie's dad. It's not important. Unfortunately, yeah. Anyway, she comes by the restaurant explains to her that if he ever decides to like end this whole whole thing... She has the uh, essentially the master key to the restaurant, which is the key to the door to the other world. All he would have to do is just break it. Yep. But anyway, it's glad to see that she's alive because uh, some of her other teammates, kind of, uh, and specifically uh, Alexander, uh, was kind of worried about her. 
Alexander is a half elf. Mm -hmm. uh, member of the four heroes. Uh, it, it, it's kind of a sad tragedy because he came to this restaurant later in life because his old his uh, son uh, Wilhelm, who we'll get to later. Uh, the last thing they kind of he kind of talked to him about was uh, these, these croquettes he ate at this restaurant. Uh, mm -hmm. He had a strained relationship with a uh, believe it or not some of his other family who will also get to later. Like, you thought uh, the, the croquettes and Kill a Kill looked delicious? Oh, they got nothing on what Alexander is looking for. I'm going to be honest. I, initially, I did not want to put, put him on this list because there was, a at one moment, uh, a battle between him and Lionel, which he said, according to his employer, that he was going to sell him off to the arena to become the gladiator. Mm. And his proceeds would be 30% of whatever he has. So I thought, that little prick. But yeah. yeah, he's never, yeah, he's not framed as the nicest guy, even before we learned that. Like in his premiere episode, the last episode of season one, he's not really framed as a good guy. He's kind of a prick. Yeah, but yet somehow he, the, the rest of his crew, went to save the world from the demon god. Which also includes his buddy, the Sage, and uh, his old friend, Artorius. Mm -hmm. He's one of the first patrons you see in the restaurant in episode one. Man mm -hmm. loves himself pork cutlet beer. Uh, he was responsible for uh, the menu creation. Basically, he was responsible for translating everything into the Eastern Continent's language. Along with his uh, pupil, the half-elf Victoria, who we'll also get to later. The dessert menu. Yes. <laughs> that was another, that's an interesting um, element that you brought up is that um, at, whenever a new character shows up, the staff always asks ask them, can you read the language of the Eastern land? Which is, you know, uh, it kind of implies like, okay, so that's how we're going to cover for the word Japanese in this because everything's written in Japanese. But it's kind of established that, no, it's also, there's a land in this fantasy world in the East, and everything's translated into their language, as you said, thanks to Arturus. Yes. And uh, here's where the asterisk comes in, because the fourth hero was basically, uh, I think, God of Wine, I forget the entire, I forgot the entire detail, but he uh, was never characterized in the anime, so to write him out, we have uh, Tatsuguro. Uh, he's a wandering swordsman from the Western Continent's Mountain Nation. He's good friends with Artorius. But they do kind of put heads over the dishes together, which is a constant thing in this episode. And that's a word I'll get to later, so. <laughs> oh yeah, I also forgot, that was another thing I liked about Alena, when, when she has to read, most, uh, read off most of the orders in one take during that argument episode. But yeah, playing these four, we have, uh, as I said, we have Michael Solusad, who you've heard is Mizuki, Kamisama Kiss, and Suwan in Yoda of the Dawn. Yobi, uh, to verify, we're going with, uh, we always see Yobi the flashback, and as the old lady, we do not know who plays the old lady. Mm -hmm. But as younger Yobi, we have uh, Michelle Rojas, who plays... Tokiyatagami Data Life and Koyagami a New Game. Yay, New Game! Uh, Artorius is voiced by Charles Campbell, who's 
Other worlds include Getseki Hava, a sort of scientific whale god, a Keichiro Kobuchi princess jellyfish, mm-hmm. and as Tatsugo, we have John Swayze, who you've heard of Soroku, <laughs> and Alice in Soroku, and Sazaibar Nakuri, Food Wars, as a matter of fact. And then oh, we thought... also. Sai, yeah, go yeah. ahead. Well, I was like, with John Swayze, I think of like um, his roles in. Um... The, the uncle in Summer Wars or the beast in The Boy and the Beast. Yeah, basically. And then the other half of the group, we have the foodies. Basically, <laughs> they kind of use the the innovations, if you will, to kind of further themselves along the culinary career. We have Thomas as Sirius, our father. Uh, Thomas is the proprietor of the, the Alfade company, which did a lot of trade with a the restaurant basically the, he was lauded as the innovator uh according to genius if you will bringing mm-hmm. pasta dishes the pasta sauces to the other world when in reality it, when in reality it was because of a trade agreement he had with the restaurant just so he could eat their spaghetti with meat sauce it's interesting that, that they, they translate the show as a restaurant to another world it might be more accurate to call it restaurant to a future world because the innovations that all these characters experience aren't really like alternative dimension stuff it's just things that won't be invented in your timeline for a couple hundred more years pizza for god's sake pizza hasn't been invented yet so of course it's, it tastes like the greatest thing ever funny you mentioned pizza because his grandson Sirius also comes mm-hmm. with him uh he he just he's pretty much discovers his grandfather's secret and then uh in the second season he decides to come with his friend Jonathan who's a chef because Sirius lacks a culinary palate and he wants his friend John <laughs> to try out what the restaurant has to offer and one of the things they offer is Neapolitan pizza. We which, have to make it the pizza. Yeah which leads me to believe that oh I uh, Probably gonna offend some people. These are probably the Italians of the other world. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. I mean, their last name is Alfade, for goodness sakes. You could, it's like just a few letters off from Alfredo. I don't think it's a far stretch to say they're the Italians of this world. <laughs> yeah, but. Oh, man. It, 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 it is very impressive to see a story unfold in real time. It's like. Oh, wow, you come to check out the competition. Speaking of checking out the competition, we have Fardania, who is a half-elf. Uh, raised, in a, raised in a village with her widowed father. She goes to gather ingredients for dinner and comes across the door to the restaurant. And <laughs> decides to give it a go. And uh, because, But she encounters a challenge. For, you see, she because elves are... Vegan, basically. Well, no, they yeah. are vegan. Yeah, they are not basically. They are no fish. No, I'm sorry, no meat, no dairy, no eggs. Nothing that comes from an animal. So she puts Chef to the challenge, and what did Chef pull out for her? A, a rice, but what's it? Yeah, it was a tofu rice burger, steak. Right? No, no tofu. To, well, steak. that's it's two. There's two episodes. In the first uh, time she shows up, tofu steak, which yes, absolutely no meat in that. The second episode, she shows up with a character that you're about to mention in a second, and they don't have tofu steak ready, but they make instead uh, 
I, I just had it written down. Where did it go? Yeah, it, what you just said. Um, rice burger. Rice burger. Yes, the both yes. the bun and the inside of it is entirely made out of vegetables, but it has the consistency and the flavor almost of a burger. Uh, to continue with the story, so after she has the tofu steak, she decides to <laughs> do a culinary undertaking and decides to develop her own dishes. At which point she encounters uh, another half-elf, uh, Alice. She was born mm -hmm. to a pair of half-elves, but she turned out to be a changeling, which kind of makes her, makes her mature much slower than everybody else. Unfortunately, she was abandoned by a village, and she was later found by Fardania in the woods, the Arworthy camping sites. The two take a trip to the restaurant, where they end up eating a lovely, delicious rice burger with, I think, tempura <laughs> vegetables. Mm-hmm. Well, it was tempura at the very least in there. Uh, it was, uh, um, I, yeah, I think that the inside of it. The outside was, like, the bun itself was almost like an onigiri, but, yeah, the inside of it was, like, tempura vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> the thing about Alice is she's happy-go-lucky. That is to say, she is a little bit of a klutz, but she is not afraid to speak about it. As Ed Fardania decides to take her as an apprentice. Mm -hmm. To which, episode 9, the fruit jelly, she encounters this lovely, this lovely dessert in the other world, and she decides to find out how it was made, to which she comes across this mermaid named Camilla, which, which they all know she's a mermaid, because uh, she, <laughs> yeah, she... Not, not to be she, confused with the mermaid from a previous episode, The I think her name was Arte, like, this yeah, is a Arte. different mermaid character. Yeah, there was a very good reason I left her off the list, and uh... I'll explain later. But yeah, they all know she's mermaid because she prayed to the Lord, the God of Blue for, I guess, the never showed it was human. It was human legs, I think it was. Anyway. No, no, it was, um, uh, what, what legs was it? It was like, it was like scaled legs. It was like, um. Look, all I know is with Arte, it was scaled legs. It was bird legs, but they never showed community. Bird legs. Yeah. Why, why are we even talking about legs, man? I, I just want drumsticks all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they come across Camila and ask her how she make this fruit jelly. And she exclaims to them that uh, she doesn't exactly know how to. She found this dish interesting because, she, like the other two, she also had it at the restaurant. So... <laughs> Fontania feel, kind of feels defeated because, you know, at this one, at one point she just tried to one up the restaurant, like because <laughs> again, not a lot of the stuff they find in nature or have been able to develop yet. So it's a lot of this is kind of interesting. Yeah, this, this is a society that doesn't have like modern refrigeration or it's just barely learned what fermentation is. Like they're just underdeveloped compared to the restaurant from another world so it's almost not even fair to try to keep up with the dishes that are being served to them yeah wait till they discover what pectin is but play d6 oh <laughs> thomas is played by barry yadel who heard us william t spears and black butler and henry henderson is by family sirius is played by stephen food who plays machio and how heavy the dumbbells you lift and Genji and Kakuryo Better Breakfast for Spirits. Jonathan is played by Alex Mai, who's 
pretty much a newcomer. He doesn't have a lot of major roles. I know him more as a writer and ADR prep guy. But you can hear him as Adamus and Lucifer the Biscuit Hammer. Man, those ah, biscuits that's... must be pretty hard if you need a hammer. It's a, that was a show that I have not seen at all, and I don't think I have a desire to. That the reputation goes a long way, people, and that yeah, mm. I I've mm. heard that. I, believe me, I feel bad for Jared. Yes, yeah, so that's no no uh, criticism to the people who worked on it or our colleagues who've had to watch it for this podcast. Yeah, and he's also Manga Fukidashi in My Hero Academia season five. Vadanya is voiced by Don Bennett. We've also heard this. As we mentioned, Satsuki Konohana Kitan and Reiko mm-hmm. Tsupiko. I'd like to call out Don Bennett as uh, the person who I follow on Twitter who got super into Bluey and was the one person who I followed who was like hyped for when season three dropped. So thank you, Don Bennett. You are not the only grown adult out there who was hyped for Bluey. Also, thank you for that joke on TikTok about the... Uh, uh, this, is a, this is a Filipino dish, a sweet dish, and uh, I'm not going to say the name. Actually, no, I'm, no I'll tell you the name after. This is kind of funny as hell. I was like, oh, that is an unfortunate name. Huh. Yeah, you'll have to tell me that later. Anyway. I don't know any Filipino dishes. Anyway, uh, Alice is voiced by Emmy Lowe, who voices Raider Ryugu in the new Higurashi remake. And now we got Kushigoto. Camilla is voiced by Brianna Roberts, who you've also heard as Emma Spring in Astralos in Space. And Ryoka in Stars Align. Oh, okay. Alright, so I've actually so, seen both of those. I didn't recognize her in the show. So, um, yeah, so uh, I, I think I'd like to really hammer through this list here. Um, uh,. Is there anything to you that stands out as wasn't done well in this group? Or can we just agree that it was uniformly everyone sounded good and filled their roles well? I'm going to say yes, but in the with the exception of Barry Yandel, because Barry kind of puts up this uh, charming front. And then his facade, when his facade drops after his grandson finds out, what he was actually doing with the trading company. He's like, yeah, I did it before, and I'll do it again. I really like that total <laughs> shift in his voice. You know? I love, yeah, I love that line. That, that No regrets whatsoever, because one, it made him rich, and two, it's darn good food, so why would you not take advantage of knowing what it is? Yeah, basically. Uh, that having been said, uh, Stephen and Alex and Cece and Jonathan. I thought those two was very trouble out there. I have not heard a lot of Alex my roast, to be honest. And I know this is just somewhat new to both of us. But I thought he did pretty good as what might be the more mature of the two. Because, mm-hmm. again, Cece just brings Jonathan to this restaurant to get taste for the food. No pun intended. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because so. Jonathan's got a job, whereas Sirius is, like, shadowing under his already rich relatives. Jonathan's actually, you know, working day to day. So, yeah, I'd agree that Alex gives him more of a mature personality compared to Stephen, who's more pie in the sky with his character, who, you know, he, he doesn't have to worry about money. He just gets to, like, 
I can't wait until seven days comes and I get to try this amazing mystery dish that's made with tomatoes. Or whatever they called it in the I fantasy th world. I, I think it was Bob Beats. That, yeah, Bob Beats. Yeah. yeah, it's like, it started with an M, but yeah, Marmeats is the... Yeah, just, Which again, like different. cube tomatoes, to be honest. It's square tomatoes. Go to your garden, people. Like, oh, it's the wrong season for that. But if you ever go to your garden, and if you find tomatoes growing in cube form, you need to get that to National Geographic, because that is not how they're supposed to grow. Yeah. Unless you know. you're in, like, Minecraft. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Uh, I'm trying to think, like, did anything else really stand out here? Um, Micah uh, portrayed the, uh, you know, the, I don't want to call it sliminess of Alexander, but, like, the, almost like the I think I'm better than you persona. Especially I'd when call, he I'd call it the anti-hero persona, because even though he did some heroic deeds, he was anything but heroic, really. Well, I'm not just talking about what he did in wartime. I'm talking about when he first shows up in the restaurant um, and we know he's looking for croquettes. He's looking for like, really good croquettes. But he's got, like, a very um, demeaning persona towards the waitstaff. Um, maybe not demeaning, but he's definitely the least nice compared to everybody else. Everybody else is just, like, uh, you know, very grateful to be there and okay. willing to wait. There is an explanation for that. Yeah, keep in mind, this was from an older type he grew up in. So, discrimination among the demons, and of course he did help defeat the demon god so his, mm -hmm. his old habits die hard for him kind of because i also remember he there, there was at one point he had to help his family uh he had to help his family escape a war and uh after a long time he never saw them again so there's also another personal reason why like he kind of feels this uh, this, uh not this not the citrus what is it like Disdain, basically, you know, because mm -hmm. everything he's been through, everything he's going through now, so. Yeah, and I, I do think that Micah portrays that uh, that mix of uh, both heroic and anti-heroic characteristics pretty well. Um, it, like, the persona, I didn't listen to any of this in the Japanese, so I can't confirm what the archetypes were, but just w looking at the character designs, I get the sense of, like, okay, these are very archetypal uh, Japanese voices that were given to them. So the English equivalent would also have to be kind of archetypal. And Micah's um, young male uh, heroic but not very nice character fits with what Alexander is on paper. So I have no qualms with the way that uh, he portrayed the character. I will say, though, there was one thing I did not like my accent. That's when you first introduced to him, and he bests Lionel uh, for about, I think it's not three seconds, but it was... Oh no, he stabbed his sword in, his sword in a particular spot and then paralyzed him. He said, uh, it'll be back to normal about three days or so. There was a line he said, uh, that kind of sounded very vulgar. He's like, uh, which sword are you talking about? The one in my head or the one down below? I'm like, Really? Really? Oh, I, <laughs> oh, I must have missed that line. I didn't know there was a dick joke in there. Yeah, when you go back to Lido's episode, yeah, it's when he's defeated in the in the in the in the, in the it's when he's defeated in the 
I forget where he was defeated. It was some palace or something. Apparently, yeah. And there was, and there was apparently a whole reason why uh, Lionel was defeated. But we'll get to that later. But, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't remember the. I think it was. Um, I I do think I remember the scene you're talking about, but I didn't realize it was Alexander at the moment because he hadn't really been like properly introduced. We learned about uh, Lionel because there's no other lion characters, and yeah, we do see he's on like this planet hulk type situation where you know he's being held prisoner to be a warrior wow um, that, well, that was a reference <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like I, I know it's roman style setup but I'm, i've just got marvel movies on the brain i guess yeah, uh, the I only you. the only actually um i didn't catch alexander's uh off color remark but i did it, correct me if i'm wrong about this but did charles campbell as artorus Describe one of his dishes as, and I quote, soft as an angel's bosom in the episode where they're all fighting over who's got the better dishes. Yeah, it sounds like an old man, all right. <laughs> yeah, that's what it sounds like. But it wasn't even said in a in a perverted kind of way. It was just like, I need to describe how, you know, soft and appealing this dish is. So I'm gonna I'm gonna compare it to I, I can okay I got two options I can compare it to a baby's butt or an angel's bosom I'm gonna go with angel tits that's where I'm gonna go with this it's just a very uh like the one like a line that again shows the semi horny atmosphere that the show has from time to time. Ah <laughs> uh, yeah and uh. Yeah, yeah. Charles Campbell did a very good job. I don't get to talk about him often, but man, he's he's somebody I wish I could hear more of. You know, I know he's like Gran Torino in my hero academia, but even then, it's like, mm-hmm. like he Barry. Who else? Yeah, he Barry. Kind of, kind of niche. Like you don't hear them as much as in things as you should, but when you do hear them, they're always great. Along with one other person in the next section, but getting back to things, speaking of uh, old people, uh, Yomi, because Michelle Rojas did a very good job playing this uh, mature type of character, because the whole deal with Yomi is, and I learned this just earlier today, uh, she was born to an Oni and a priestess, and apparently they decided to team up with her to defeat the demon god, and, uh, she took it as a as a chance to I guess understand humanity, so which is why she is kinda of the way she is. I'm just a little sad we don't know who voices the older version, which we see more of at the end. Yeah, and I, I was I was kind of listening for like is there are they the same character I'm sorry, the same actresses? Cause they're not. Like they're, yeah, there's definitely a, a change in the sound between the two of them. But yeah, I couldn't tell just by listening by ear who the English actress was for the older I, version. I have a hunch who it may be because there's only two people I can think of and Julie Erickson is retired, but just to be safe, I'm not going to say who. Okay. I, yeah. I'm going to tell yeah, we, you after the episode. So. Okay. All right. Fair. But yeah, for the parts that we do here, um, Michelle's performance of the character, um, it's a welcome uh, addition to the lore of the, the restaurant itself. Like, we didn't necessarily need this. Um, you know, we could have gone through the whole show of just vignettes without the explanation about where the restaurant comes from or how it's able to connect to the fantasy world. But because she is uh, carrying 
this familial connection to the main chef and the magic that ties the restaurant to the fantasy world, um, she does a very good job in her performance. And I, I'm glad that the show decided to have just enough uh, reward for the people watching long term to explain to them the backstory of how this came about. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's the whole thing too, especially with uh, Master, because I realized that Master is just exposition, basically. And he expresses himself also through the variety of dishes that are served. Mm -hmm. I think what it is is with most, with most slices of life there's really plot that kind of goes nowhere or like it kind of ties into something that's never really explained. At least we get like some type of explanation because even if you don't think about it you, you kind of gotta wonder like huh, I wonder like how he manages to like stay afloat because again with the whole yeah. restaurant thing with him with him because if he didn't have this clientele, basically, and things just were kind of normal, he probably would have been out of business. So I think that's also kind of what, at least to me, what the king represents, too. Like, if he wanted to end things, like, if he had no other choice, basically. Well, I got the sense that uh, he could have easily gone into uh, working in a restaurant that was going to actually pay him a decent salary in the human world. But that connection that his family has to the fantasy world, uh, he could walk away from that. You know, he doesn't have to keep doing this, but he does feel such a connection to it that... And they explain in some parts uh, when people mention that, dude, you're charging way less for this food than you should be. You're charging me like a couple of coppers for this Mont Blanc when I've got a noble woman in my world who's offering 400 silver coins for it. You're doing stupid business here. And his response is a very reasonable, it's not about the money exactly. It's about seeing the happiness on people's faces. That's, and as long as I'm covering my base expenses, that's all I need to make this a fulfilling job. Yep. And speaking of making this a self-fulfilling job, the elves and Camilla, because their job is just trying to bring a... Uh, to cultivate uh, a new dishes they find into mm -hmm. their own. Because Don is Fardania has a very mature air about her. And, uh, I know I listed Satsuki as a uh, one example, but to me, <laughs> when she's in a very serious mode, she kind of reminds me of Colleen Clinking Beard at times. I can hear that. Yeah, that. Uh, that lower, more mature voice that Colleen brings to some performances is definitely what Dawn's going for. You separate her, you, you say, separate Ferdania from uh, the characters like El Aletta um, or the, the younger female characters who are, uh, like Victoria, who are like more on the Moe side. And Ferdania is not that. You know, she's definitely grown up, she's uh, self sustaining. And takes things very seriously. I just realized you can't spell Fardania without Dawn. <laughs> There's no W. <laughs> I no, know you're, you're phonetically. Really phonetically. Phonetically. <laughs> we are not hooked on phonics here. You cannot just throw that into the recording and say you can't spell this without Dawn. I'm like, There's oh no yeah. Spe speaker hooked, uh, Alice. <laughs> I, I know I know people don't like uh, pair voice 
voice actors to other voice actors, but I need something for a frame of reference, and Emmy to me kind of sounds like Stephanie Shea with a little higher pitch, because they have that energy, that uh, ability to be peppy when need to be. I should know because I watched them in another show called D4DJ First Mix, or as I like to call it, Emmy Low Sugar Rush. <laughs> It's just if Emmy was in uh, the video game from Wreck-It Ralph. Something like that. Like when you when you see a play these types of characters, it's amazing like how much energy they can inject into these characters. Cause I know Alright, have you you have you seen the new Hikarashi or no? No, I only saw the original. Okay then, because I know in that show like she can display that energy in her voice very they can display that voice, the energy, the voice very well. They can channel that energy wherever, whenever they need it. Mm-hmm. And they're also, but unlike Higurashi, you know, I'm not worried too much about them. Like, they don't, I know they're going to be all right, but I like in Higurashi when they kind of scare the living crap out of me. <laughs> Which is good because in that show, they're supposed to scare you. Yeah. Um, the, um, I, I'm looking through, um, her cast list, um, on Behind the Voice Actors just to see, like, have I seen her in anything else? And I, I saw the My Hero Academia movie, but I don't recognize the character she was in in that. And then everything else is, like you said, it's like Higurashi remake. I haven't seen that yet. I haven't seen the latest version of Show by Rock, season of Show by Rock. So this show is, uh, my frame of reference for Emmy's overall, uh, performance capabilities. Um, it's, and it's not really, um stand outish to me at least in this show because i've heard a similar um peppy get scared uh female voices in other shows before and this one's like okay this fits the mold very well it just doesn't stand out to me as like i'm gonna remember this compared to other similar performances and that that's not a criticism at all um i i'm trying to get at you've got to fill the the hole. You gotta fill the Alice-sized hole in the cast list here, and they were able to do that well with this actress who, as sounds like, has a much peppier <coughs> tone in other shows. Yeah. So. Um, and, and speaking of said the tone, uh, Rihanna is Camilla. The one yeah. thing I really like, cause like, cause like every low to you. Rihanna doesn't really stand out to me as much. Like, I've only ever seen her in Astro Lost in Space, among a couple mm-hmm. other shows. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I don't remember her character in Astro Lost in Space. Um, it's been a while since I've seen that one. Um, I'm, I'm agreeing with you that I also was like, okay, Brianna's filling the role well, um, just not, like, standing out to me exactly. Okay, side note, do you remember the Bob to Megan Shipman's character? Um, in this show? In Astra. Oh, um, yes? That's her. Anyway, uh, what I really liked about her voice is that, uh, and I noticed this with a lot of uh, that, a lot of other people too, mainly Terry Doty, like, she has this kind of lisp that, uh, just, it may, it, it kind of, it kind of is it on its own because you know it helps it her make her voice very distinct from other people 
I, I hear the show. So, yeah. Because if, I, somebody, I because if somebody used to have a speech impediment, I understand how it could be like uh, talking with a different kind of, not dialect, but basically like mm-hmm. learning to speak, I guess learning to speak properly and enunciate in a, especially in a different <laughs> world, you know. Because enunciating, because she has to do a lot of enunciating because a lot of the concepts she started to come across with this fruit jelly are kind of foreign to her. So when she's trying to explain it to the elves, it's like, okay, it's not as simplistic as it would look. So make sure the dialogue is a little bit difficult. I really think she pulled that off. Yeah, it stands in contrast to... um... Uh, the episode where the uh, the hamburger boys meet the lizard guy for the first time, and lizard guy um, is uh, you know is like speaking in kind of like very gruff, simplistic language, whereas Camilla's uh, dialogue is peppered with a lot of very complex things to say. I did not catch the lisp that you were talking about. Um, I, w- I guess I wasn't listening for it. I should go back and see if I can catch that. Um, but if it is uh, an unintentional part of her performance, then that is interesting to me because um, if you can integrate um, not quite a speech impediment, but you know a, a, a unique vocal quirk into your performance, but have it not be a distracting part of your performance, then that's an asset, I feel, to a voice actress. I look at someone like Monica Rial, where you can usually tell it's her because she's got a very distinct way of speaking, but it's a kind that always enhances the performance. So I need to keep an eye out for more Brianna performances, uh, as well as this one, to see if it's, you know, if it stands out to me in a positive way. Because for this particular performance, it was just like, it's a basic good performance from an actress that I had not really heard, uh, except from other show, had not really heard before. I think the, the, the thing I'm taking away from this whole group here is that, for the most part, everyone is easy to understand, but no one's really given, um, like, crazy cartoony sounds or personality traits that are, um, I suppose, like, very out there to, uh, to convey the, the fantasiness of this world. These sound like people that could come from our world, you know? They've just got elven magic or their merchants or their uh you know royalty or mermaids no one is really like a personality that you couldn't find in any metropolitan city in america yep oh no they all did a very good job and they all it's amazing how very distinct everybody sounds from one another that's true yeah yeah, the, the, you, yeah. Who, who else uh, frequents this restaurant from another world? Yeah, so we're going on to our next group, which consists of a lot of frequent patrons, some more frequent than others. <laughs> Starting off, we have uh, Alphonse Flugel, who is a Navy admiral who was shipwrecked for the last 20 years on an island. He had to survive <laughs> by uh, hunting chimera and eating the meat. And then one day, the door appeared in front of him, and uh, he jumped in, was greeted by Daiki Yamagata, and uh, was served uh, 
He was served Rice beef curry. curry. Yep. Yeah, he was served beef curry. He loved the dish so much that he made it a habit every seven days to go back. <laughs> he counted those days by making marks on <laughs> making marks on stone rocks with his knife. It, it it's kind of did it stand out as weird to you that he was like okay I'm gonna go to this restaurant every seven days while I'm staring on this island that's great but he never takes the opportunity to be like hey so can you like help me get off this island you know like do you have like I don't know like a helicopter or flare so I can sail for help like anything besides just food to eat I. Don't think it would have been that easy because remember the door only opens once every seven days and it can probably only fit whatever it can fit through the door. Mainly him, yeah. his weapons, any money he carried, which that's another thing in and of itself. I'll get to later. I'm just saying 20 years being trapped on an island and your one connection to the outside world is uh, and you don't take advantage of it to try to build a boat off the island. I, I don't know. That's... It's not a plot hole. It's a me thinking too hard about a simple premise about strangers coming to a restaurant. But Such as. Like, but much like these other people, that one connection is what kept them going. Like, for example, Lionel. Yes. Uh, one, of the, one of the oldest patriots. He's a powerful demon warrior from the Demon Kingdom. And uh, he committed some crimes to the point he was not only caught, but sold off into slavery. Mm-hmm. But if you cry, yeah, but, yeah, caught by Alexander, sold off into slavery, went to become a gladiator, was able to free himself uh, by uh, defeating by uh, winning a hundred matches, every because his freedom cost him ten thousand gold, and for every match he won was a hundred gold, so he had to win a hundred times. He almost did not go on living until he encountered the door to the restaurant. Where he walked in and was served pork cutlet bowls. Pork cutlet bowls! <laughs> yeah. It gave him the energy, the strength he needed to fight. Well, of course, one ju wasn't ju just wasn't enough. He had to have many. <laughs> and he knew that. And Daiki gave him that because he knew that as well. So, <laughs> And then after he got fed, uh, he went on to become a champion figure skater. Uh, it was good making Yuri on Ice reference on the bicep. That's a Yuri on Ice reference, people. <laughs> Katsudan is delicious. I, I will hear nothing to the contrary. I, I, I must try it one of these days. It's great. It's it's simple too. Like I think you could like you can modify it even to you know your own preferences. It's very good. Yeah. This, yeah. And Speaking we... of modifying. Yes, we have uh, Victoria Sabanak, who is a half elf, member the ancient, member the ancient duchy, the family to the ancient duchy. Uh, it's weird. She was born to two humans, but because you know, some uh, some elves kind of contaminated the gene pool. She was the only one of the children to be born with the abilities of an elf. Which That's called her... recessive genes, people. Yeah, recessive genes. Look up Puddit squares. So, because the normally see, the normally see the normally downplayed in society, see down in society. 
She had two options. She could either be exiled to a half-elf village. She could disappear and never return. Or what she did was the third option. She decided to hold herself up in her in the other part of the castle to do research. Mm-hmm. She became the Witch of the Western Tower or the Witch Princess of the Duchy. Which I have to assume that uh, all the references to the Duchy royal family, like that's got to be a reference to like um, or an analog to the Dutch or you know the 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 Netherlands in our society because those motherfuckers were traveling all around the world in medieval times, doing trade, conquering villages, taking over the world. Like that's got to be what Duchy is supposed to be an analog to in this show. Probably, I don't know. Anyways, she managed to she managed to make a lot of uh, scientific creations, including a magical box that can keep, uh, in this case, desserts cold, namely pudding. She basically invented the igloo, people. Basically, and then we have <laughs> we have the Red Queen. Calm down, calm down. She's she's not that voluptuous. She's just very, very voluptuous. Oh yes, I know. If you're worried about showing this to your kids, episode one as well. Yes, she's, there's uh, a yeah. This is a big queen, and we mean big. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, she's a shapeshifter red dragon, uh, one of the six dragons that help defeat the chaos monster. Uh, she, she resides in, I think it's some kind of cliff with a whole personal valet voiced by Chris George. <laughs> surrounded by worldly treasures. Because, but, as dragons are tended to do. But the one thing she decides most when she stepped further into the restaurant to another world was beef stew. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, so much so that uh, it's in the opening credits. You can literally see her breathing fire from yep. the beef stew. Yeah. Actually, I think all the characters we've talked about show up at some point in the opening credits, at least for season one. Yeah. But, but yeah, she has she has such a strong fondness for this restaurant that she's willing to protect it with her life. She was very hesitant when she noticed a letter coming onto the scene, but she realizes there is no uh, there is no malice to be had. She also displays this to Kuro as well, who tells her tells her to guard this restaurant with her own life. Mm-hmm. But yeah, to her that beef stew is like gold. Speaking of gold, we also have a... Uh, <laughs> oh, these segues are awful. Do it better than Andrew. That is all, that's a low bar, bar to clear, but yes, you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, we have uh, adventurous Sarah Gold, who, according to the story, apparently has William's curse. Her grandfather, William, was a, a novel adventurer who first came to the restaurant to another world. After so much talked about his diary, which was found later, years later by his granddaughter, Sarah. 
that said mm-hmm. came from an esteemed family, a prestige family. Uh, mm-hmm. But when she got hold of Williams, because she set out to seek treasure and seek adventure, she found the greatest treasure of all, and that was the door to the other world. And she could never understand why her grandfather was so fond of it until she stepped in one day and decided to have a bite. There's nobody who comes to this restaurant who doesn't end up loving it. Like, I was just waiting episode after episode for at least one person to be like, I mean, this this is okay, but it's not that great. But no, everybody has a food gasm when they get a bite of this restaurant's cooking. And Sarah is no exception. Look, just be glad it's a milder food gasm than Food Wars. Much more mild, yes. I, I can't prove that this show was only created because Food Wars got so popular, but they, they definitely toned down that influence when they decided to do the showing people excited for the food. Nobody gets naked because the food's that good. And speaking of excitement, uh, we go on to uh, our last fi- frequent patron, uh, Heinrich Sellerman, who's a soldier, a nobleman from the Eastern Continent, obsessed with fried shrimp, whose taste he's not enjoyed since he left his old, his old childhood town to become a knight. He stumbled upon the restaurant when uh, he was under attack by the mothman in his village and he had to relay a coded message so he traveled on horseback and after a couple of days he was stuck out in the blazing heat his horse died after being poisoned so he struggled on with nothing else in tow but the clothes on his back and the sword on his side and then he came across this door one day on a horse with no name I, oh wait no actually I'm not on the horse because he's dead and then he came across this door in a cabin one day and he decides to venture through it in hopes of seeking shelter. Or he realized he actually stumbled into the restaurant. Uh, seeking, <laughs> seeking an offer from the master, which he gladly obliged. Gave him a free hand towel, glass of lemon water, and decided to serve him some fried shrimp because he that's what he was real excited for. Mm-hmm. After what looks to be about four, maybe five plates full, he decides to venture back but realizes he doesn't have the money to pay. So what does he do? He leaves his sword behind his collateral, which oddly enough was returned to him later three years after by Tatsugoro. And that was nice of that was nice of the staff to accept his sword, because honestly, any legitimate business would look at him, look at the sword, look back at him and be like, Does this look like a pawn shop to you? Again, there's a deeper connection to this show. Still, waters went deep, as they say. True but that. yeah, but yeah, play D6. As uh, as Alphonse, we have Jeremy Schwartz, who you've heard is Vincent Fennetti in 91 Days, and the Black King of Drifters, but you would recognize him most as the narrator for Moonshiners. Unless you haven't, unless you haven't seen Moonshiners, in which case, no, you would not recognize him as that. Just watch clips on YouTube. That's all you gotta do. Anyway, Lionel is voiced by Jeremy Edmund, who you've heard is X in Beat X, and Shikamatsu and Hakata Tokotsu Robbins. Victoria is played by Jane Saxton, who you've heard is Eve Genwad in Bakano. And speaking of food, unless no, you can't watch her as Eve Genwad in Bakano because that show is not available 
in the United States anymore. Fuck you, Antiplex. And speaking of food war, she's also Megumi Tadakoro. Uh, Red Queen's voiced by Stephanie Young, who you can hear is KK Blood Blockade Battle for and Nico Robert One Piece. Sarah Gold is voiced by our other ADR director, Caitlin Glass. You can hear her as Woody Rock. You could have heard her as Woody Rock Bell from Bell Alchemist, but you can hear her as uh, yeah. I said That's why I say you could have. Yeah, yeah, you got you got to put the word could past tense in there. But but you can hear her as Mina Ashido in My Hero Academia. Heinrich yes, Selman is played by J. Michael Tatum. You can hear him as, you could have heard him as Erwin Smith in Attack on Titan. <laughs> or Sebastian McCann as a black butler, but uh, one's dead, the other is no longer in print. Yeah. And that and it's hard to tell which one is worse. That having been said, we go on to our final group, the creme de la creme, if you will. We have Wilhelm, who is a uh, Alexander's son, he's a quarter elf, but despite that he ages kind of normally, he raises mm-hmm. her, his granddaughter, Adelheid, who's kind of suffering from an illness because she has a, a bout of loneliness because I guess whatever this illness is, her mother cannot is not able to approach her because of her pregnancy, they said in one episode. So grandfather decides to take her out to this restaurant is closely guarded secret and then uh after they had a nice experience together eating clouds clouds yeah because that's, like, that's gonna yeah it's not gonna be confusing to the um uh the staff four years later it's like what, what do you mean you had clouds like but I, I don't know what that means turns out it happened to be parfait choco parfait which kind of go head in head with Bruce if you think about it because they're both light and fluffy yep. but the way they do chocolate parfait is different so anyway mm-hmm. so years later Adelheid grows up Wilhelm passes away Wilhelm was the uh the not the du- yeah the Duke of the Empire which 50 years ago was kind of small but Thanks, thanks to his uh, closely guarded secret, uh, he grew potatoes from the other world in the eastern continent, which allowed him to rule this nation of an ep- a beast of an empire years later. Mm-hmm. He's succeeded by his son Wolfgang, who we don't know much about, but we do know that uh, he's Adelheid's father. Uh, he takes over the empire. There's not much to him. Yeah, I just kind of put, put him here for connection's sake. Okay. Keep, keep uh, it all in the family, basically. He's, yeah, he's definitely less involved than, like, um, say, like, Victoria's uh, connection to, like, her niece and nephew. I don't know if really Wolfgang has a whole lot of involvement in this. But at least he gave us a very good-looking daughter. Yep, uh, uh, daughter who ends up getting married later, so... Speaking of royalty, we also have uh, Prince and his half-sister. We have Sharif and Redder. Now, Sharif came across this restaurant one day and uh, was intrigued by the iced coffee or coffee float. So much so, he decides to bring this innovation back to the land by uh, performing a little magic on a coffee pot, if you will. Yes, to the land of sand, which can contrast that to the more... uh, Eurocentric looking 
uh, fantasy setting that all the air characters are in. Their world is uh, much more like Persian Arab looking design, which also means that they've got they have uh, the ability to perform magic much better than the other fantasy characters. Yeah, basically it's more of a Turkish setting because I know about of a Turkish coffee that is. You can you put you you boot the cup and you pour the you put it in the sand. This is a video I've seen of that, so I know that has to be at least a Turkish kind of Persian setting. But yeah, oh, oh you mean the I'm sorry the the technique where you um you heat the coffee by putting it in hot sand. Yes, yes, I've seen that video too. Um, and I don't know how it's done, but it's it's very uh, it looks like it'd be a good parlor trick. I mean, it's hot sand. What is there to it? The only difference is it's not. It's not like it's. It's a pour through. You just basically you you steep in the coffee in water, pour hot yeah. sand to raise temperature. Yeah. Well, I, well, at least that's what I noticed. It intrigues me because I just know, like, I've been to the beach many times. I live on a beach. I'm just be worried, like, that sand is gonna get into the cup. It's, it's, no matter what, how you try, it's it's gonna get into the cup. Damn, do they know how to pour it with, without doing that? Anyway, these, as Noah said, these two are magicians, and they're half siblings. And I think because of that, uh, Redder has the stronger affinity for magic, but they were both raised equally by their father. Uh, Redder, let's just say the coffee flow is not the only thing he thirsts for. <laughs> he seems to have a thing for Adelheid, and, uh, Redder is kind of his wingman in a sense, to which yeah. is one of yeah. the reasons he keeps coming back to the restaurant time and time again. Uh, to the po- to the eventual point, he finally decides to confess his feelings for Adelheid, and they get married. And then hilarious, so yeah, it's so cute. But a little cross culture uh, connection through the power of good food. To which a hilarious moment ensues when the master pulls out a knife for the wedding cake. Yeah. And, go- and Sharif goes on the offense. Actually, no, he goes on the defense. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. Because, you know, it's not custom where they come from, so it's all new to them. So the point of this show is trying to get across is that we, we could bridge all of our diplomatic problems if we could just sit people down and eat a nice... Uh, uh, what's that one dish where it's like a cabbage with uh, sauce and mayonnaise put on top of it? Slami yaki. Oh, no, it's oh. um. Sorry. What? I forget how to pronounce it. I, I know it. I've seen it in a lot of anime. What's it called? Uh, okonomiyaki. That's what it is. Oh yeah. If we could okay. just get, if we could get Vladimir Putin and uh, Joe Biden to sit down and enjoy and enjoy a nice Japanese meal together, we could solve all the world's problems. That's the moral of this show. Well, I'm all for foreign relations. This is not the time, no place for that. <laughs> Fair enough. Any play, play these five. Wilhelm is played by Bruce Carey, who you've also heard is Chaos and Green X and Silver's Rayleigh in One Piece. Or, if you want to go old school, he's the narrator for level E. Is that well, old school? Oh, I guess it is at this point. Oh, yeah, that was, that was one of the first things I watched back in the day. Uh, unfortunately, Dang. we do not know who voices Wolfgang. Uh, if it does come out 
I did ask Caitlin ahead of time, so if it does come out before this episode goes up, I'll put the credits in here. But uh, as of right mm-hmm. now, we have no idea who voices him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hide is voiced by Trini Toronto, who you've also heard as Carol and Carol Tuesday and Kaiser Numba and Kiss Him Not Me. As an addendum, uh, for episode two, I think it was, uh, we she had a stand-in. Uh, Alexis Tipton stood in for her. Uh, Alexis Tipton, no citation needed, mostly because I <laughs> while I didn't bother writing things down. But you, you know, if Dad. you've heard Alexis Tipton, you know who Alexis Tipton is. If you He's hadn't also... told me that, I'm sorry. If you hadn't told me that Alexis had filled in for this character, I would not have noticed. I, I was that much not able to pick up the difference, unfortunately. That's impressive. Sharif uh, is voiced by Rico Fajardo, who you've heard is Itona Hoibe in Assassination Classroom, and Mitsu Hito Koei in the Baka because Happy Fucking New Year! <laughs> New Year! Rapping Rico! Woohoo! Oh, I love that moment. And Redder is voiced by Elizabeth Maxwell, who you've heard is Aisa Uotani in Fruits Basket 2019, and Medai in My Hero Academia. So, to kick off our final group, what do we think of these lovely people? These people really do help round out the, the patronage because it they all, as opposed to the previous group where um, there was a lot, I felt like there was a lot more uniformity in um, their uh, like backgrounds. Like a lot of them were like uh, more noble characters or like... Uh, like esteemed individuals this group is a little more ragtag you've got military people but you've also got warriors you've got uh like shunned individuals you got dragons so because of that um they all help round out the the vibe of this show which is that everyone enjoys being able to sit down and enjoy a meal in a time period that they're all experiencing that seems to be full of a lot of war and turmoil you mentioned that uh, Sheriff and Edelheid kind of hook up, uh, and which is good for their romance, but it's also good for their kingdoms because it, you know, it unites their kingdoms, so they stop fighting each other. But it, their performances of the whole group is a really good indication of how having a good ensemble who rounds out the different personality traits and bounces off of each other well makes a show like this work. So I, I don't have qualms. I, I was looking for an issue or maybe a shortcoming. Um, like even um, even Jeremy Inman's Lionel, which is very rough and um, like intentionally rough, is still fitting for the character. And I can't think of a way I would have directed differently. Yeah. yeah I think everybody did job uh, very well for the most part. I will say, like I said, with uh, with Barry Yandel and Charles Campbell, they, Jeremy Schwartz is kind of deep. I'm glad he was able to return for this season. I really wish I could hear him in more things. Because he, he, he has a very unique voice. and I I know you haven't watched it, but Moonshiners is kind of a trip because it was like one of the few times you can hear a voice actor that, outside of an anime. It's like it's very kind of surreal. And uh, after the ho- after the holidays, we'll all be going through, or have gone through. We all could use a drink sometime, you know. Oh, absolutely. I do like how Jeremy gets to um, 
he, he goes from this very composed um, admiral character, you know, in charge of other people in the military, and he gets to be ecstatic about curry rice. You know, he, he's not only excited to have it when he comes in, but he also gets to describe the flavors of the different kinds that the chef asks him to sample. Like, he's one of the few characters who gets to sample new dishes because the chef really admires his opinion about curry. Green curry, soup curry, beef tendon curry, the new chicken curry, all of those. He gets to, Jeremy gets to, you know, go all out on describing the flavor and the textures and all that good stuff that you know, love to use to describe food. Yeah, basically, because... Oh, I didn't. I guess I could break this up because one of the interesting things about some of these characters is like how everything is integrated with each other. Because I know with the Sirens, they come mm -hmm. across this island that we learned he was shipwrecked on. Yes. They actually find this treasure. Like he they left a note and everything. Yeah, I, yeah. They didn't take his gold. He left it there for people to use, specifically for the restaurant to another world. Yeah, basically. Also, I didn't realize it was the same island that you see Wake uh, uh, and Arte come upon, which I realized Wake, he got, he was also kind of shipwrecked onto that island, mm -hmm. too. He, we we kind of learned that uh, it's through the sirens, probably, because the sirens say that uh, it, the one thing in the narration it says is that sirens the attract sailors by the call and then they shipwrecked him on an island and that's how he came across Arte all of a sudden because Arte saved him from drowning in the water mm -hmm. although his shipwrecking had nothing to do with the sirens it was just he was, was out just, in a fishing was boat a, in a storm in the storm yes but basically uh, <laughs> well, it, uh, this was better integrated in my head but I know it all connected so anyway Sorry. But, but you're, yeah. uh, no, you're, you're right. There's a lot of interconnectivity between the episodes, more so than most anthology shows. You compare this to a show like uh, Mushishi or uh, Holic or, uh, I don't know, even like um, Galaxy Express 3-9, where there's not always connections between the individual episodes. In this one, there's little threads between the characters and the ongoing conflict that keeps popping back up that will reward you if you're paying attention. Yeah, basically. Uh, I've said that. Uh, shout out to Brit April, to McKinnon Kratz, Howard Wang, and Abilene Connors, respectively. <laughs> Especially Howard and Abilene, there was a very good reason I left them off the list, because. Reasons. Okay. Uh, speaking of reasons, uh, the Red. Stephanie Young is the Red Queen. She didn't do as much with the two episodes we saw here, but she was. Very influential in ways. I, well, I, I think... Yeah, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, I was going to point out that um, although uh, the Red Queen only shows up in about two and a half episodes, uh, voice acting-wise, Stephanie gets to have reverb on her voice because she's one of only two characters who speaks through telepathy. She has a psychic conversation with Kuro, which means that the, the engineers get to put reverb on her voice to convey that, you know, speaking to people through your mind... Uh, sense. Um, and this just ties again to something that we talked about in previous episodes of this podcast. Give 
thanks to your audio engineers. They are is a thankless, underappreciated job, but absolutely makes every show in a ways that you will never notice. If you're not noticing their work, that means that they're doing it correctly, and that is an absolutely commendable. Yeah, basically. Yeah, let me let me do that right now. Just to, just to give a quick shout out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shout out to Derek Elkin, Chido Paletti, and James Baker. Y'all did a very good job on this. I got I gotta say, like for some of the effects that are used in this episode, they were very neat. Credit where credit is due. It kind of provides this surrealism that the show is providing. Do you know if um, any of this was recorded remotely? Because if the show was... I know the show... Uh, the second season came out in 2021, but was the recording done remotely? Uh, my theory is maybe, because I remember season one, Jeff Bicente was also credited as an engineer, and he runs Central Command Studios in California, which I believe this was probably around the time Genie moved out to L.A. I could be wrong. And I know that Zeno Robinson and Zephy Wynn popped up in Season 2 as well, as well as Genie returning. So, Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that Zeno Robinson showed up in this, because, yeah, I only know him as a, as a West Coast uh, talent. So hearing that he was in this show, which was mostly full of Texas actors, made me think, like, Hmm, well, there's a little uh, cross-company work going on here with uh, the oh, pandemic yes. going on. Speaking of, speaking of uh, other four talent, Bill Butts and Oscar Sugg as the two, as the two war, not the two war gods. Uh, the two um, dwarf characters? No, 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 no. That's uh, Greg Dolce and Bill Jenkins. Uh, oh. Fuck. As Soy Martin and... Uh, I know one of them, one's an Anmyoji, the other's a priest, I think. One likes uh, seafood. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, that was the, um, I'm going to pronounce this correctly here, the Okonomiyaki episode. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's it. So, yeah, there's a lot more of that going on in season two than season one, obviously. Yeah, um, basically. Yeah, uh, I, I don't really have anything else to add on the other performances. Um, like, Rico was good, Jeannie was good, Elizabeth worked well off of Rico. Um, you can add stuff that you want on the other ones. Um, I am glad, though, that uh, with Sarah Gold's character, that Caitlin gave um, Alexis someone else to... Um, I'm sorry, gave Jill someone else to work off of as Aletta. Um, aside from the restaurant staff. And so her contribution as a, um, you know, another character for Aletta's character to work with uh, was a welcome change to the kind of the form, the format, not the format, the, um, the routine that the show seemed to have gotten into. It was good to see the characters outside of the restaurant setting. Oh, yeah. Yes, uh, Caitlyn had a very well reserved approach to this character because, you know, even though she's adventurous, you know, she, she Sarah doesn't know exactly know what lies ahead for her, so taking things one step at a time. There was even a point where she exhausted herself in one episode after mm-hmm. she employed Elena as a, a, essentially a caretaker, maid, if you will, for, the, for mm-hmm. lack of a better term. Yeah. And, then, and, then, and then they, the, 
<laughs> and then they discovered cheese. And everything was alright. It was cheese and uh, what the hell else? Oh, that cookie sauce. That was with Felicia. Yeah, no, she, um, uh, it was, um, the soup. It was like, corn um, potage. Uh, rice. Corn yeah, potage. yeah, corn. Uh, yeah, it was a corn, uh, sweet corn soup. It's like yeah, a chowder almost. Potage, yeah. Which, yeah, that does sound good. I've had chicken corn chowder was one of the dishes that, uh, ironically, the, the restaurant that my mom managed for years, that was like one of their signature dishes. It was really well done. Uh, yeah, I remember tomato, I remember tomato basil soup we used to have at work, and then they discontinued it. Ooh. It's probably one of the I, only times I've ever really tasted tomato, to be honest. But. Really? Yeah, cause I know some people would have don't have a don't have a thing for eating raw tomatoes, but uh, it's even if you salt and pepper them, it's like you know they'd rather eat it in processed form, which I can completely understand. Oh, I can't, and I, I say that as someone who, um, I do know a person who dislikes raw tomatoes. Uh, my wife, Jennifer, she will not eat tomatoes. She'll eat ketchup, but she can't do the, even when you salt and pepper them, raw tomatoes. And I don't get it. I just don't get it at all. It probably might be something from a distant memory, because I remember for the longest time I used to to dislike mashed potatoes, but that was because I was eating the packaged ones when you make them fresh. Oh, when you make oh, them fresh, however, that's oh, different. Oh, Jamal, you're hurting me here. Oh, no, God. no, 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 no. This was a long time ago. Now, yeah, yeah, I get that, but I'm, I'm just like, oh, young Jamal had to eat the boxed potato flakes. Oh God, let me go back in time and fix this. I'll feed you right, Jamal. I'll get you real potatoes. A little bit of butter, a little bit of cream cheese, a little salt and pepper, and a tiny bit of garlic powder. I'll, I'll get you right, man. Nobody should eat boxed potatoes. Nobody! That's why it just makes me cry inside. Hey, where were way. we? Yeah, where were we? So, we've covered the frequent patriots. Uh, J. Michael Taylor was pretty good. What wasn't really wasn't really much to his character other than you know his bravado. Caitlin Glasser yeah, Glass Hill go is very good, very reserved. Bruce Carey, yeah. I don't get to talk a lot about Bruce Carey. He's been a hot man since the BDX episode, and I I really like his tone of voice. It's just I again, it's just like Jeremy Schwartz is very kind of very niche. You don't hear him in a lot of things, and if you do, you pop it's probably one of those blinking you missing type of deals. I wish I knew but, who voiced Wolfgang, but uh, for maybe. on the Bruce for Bruce Carey's performance, did, did it really uh sound different to you than the other old man characters in the show? Like did it sound different from like Charles Campbell or John Swayze's performances to you? No, because Charles Campbell was kind of be the bit of a wisecracker. John Swayze was kind of be a bit of a stoic character. Jeremy Schwartz was kind of be a bit of a noble character because he is a Navy Admiral ad after all. Yeah, Jeremy Schwartz, I feel like, was the most uh, distinct of the older characters. Um, I didn't really get a grasp on what Bruce Carey's, like, defining personality trait was. Um, but I think that's mostly because he just didn't show up in that many episodes. He's only there to provide backstory for Adelheid, to which 
Ado, she Toronto is Ado Hyde with a very charming, very cute. It's been, I know we uh, y'all covered her in the Carol Tuesday episode, but it's been a while since I've heard her in another show. It's like, I, again, I don't have. It's not that I don't have time to watch Netflix shows. It's just that. <laughs> again, 168 hours in a week. It's 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 not it's not because a lot of shows are being created. It's just why go and try. To, access Netflix is either on my phone or something it's like I don't have time to watch it on my big screen because I'd have to log in and then there's a whole thing with the password and stuff oh, and, oh. And, and plus you have to kind of sift through the sections to get to the anime so that's true it's not usually right on the front page yeah <laughs> but with oh. but with Genius Adohad I really loved it especially in contrast to Rico and Sharif because Rico is like he acts like he acts try he's trying to act like a little I guess a little t- privileged teenager or something like there's it's just it's something he really likes but he's too shy too afraid to admit it and then mm-hmm. yeah Elizabeth Maxwell's his wig man telling him to basically butter up so. <laughs> Grow a pair. Like, come I, on, brother. <laughs> I was going to say dud up, but that's too odd to those. That's exactly what she's saying. She, she's right there saying, like, you idiot. You had the chances right there, and you didn't sack up. You did. It was sack up or shut up, and you shut up. But I like the, the progression later on. They actually managed to get through that, I think, what, three or four episodes? Uh, not simultaneously, I think, but you're referring to, like, the whole course of the, like, from when they're introduced to yeah. when he actually, yeah, it, it's about three episodes worth of content. They're just spaced out, because we see them introduced in the, um, which episode is that? The Melon Soda Float episode, that's episode nine of season one, and then uh, the it's resolved by the end of season two. Which is funny, because the whole time you see, like, he has, like, a little trade agreement to provide iced coffee to the... Eastern Continent with a uh, Wolfgang, which he's basically essentially opening a Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, he's opening a, a medieval Starbucks, that is true. Only to end up taking Adelheid's hand in marriage. I was like, wow, that is a. That is a turn I. Well, except for the descriptions, that is a turn I did not see coming. It's how they, you know, resolved conflicts between countries back in the day. It's like, your daughter and my son, they're going to hook up, and that's that's going to be it. Then we can be friends. But if they don't get married, then we can never be friends. But usually, those kinds of stories, it's a political arrangement, and the, the relationship between the two is platonic. This one, they just basically, like, consummate the love through dessert, or consummate the dessert through love, however you want to put it. That's a great way to resolve things. I, I can't think of a better way for uh, diplomatic peace treaties. Again, as we were talking about, you get world leaders together, you share a, an ice cream coffee, or an iced coffee with each other, and we can have world peace. Make it happen. Anything on that note, we've set our peace, so it's time to move into the final thoughts. So, yeah. What do we think of the show overall as a whole? All right, so I'm going to be honest in that um, I did not watch the show spaced out like I was supposed to. Um, I marathoned all 24 episodes of the show in the span of this weekend, basically. Hey, and me too. the reason, 
I, well, the reason why it was able to do that is because this is an insanely easy show to watch. There is almost no plot that you need to keep track of. You can play it in the background almost without really needing to watch the visuals because everyone's describing how great their dishes are. Steamed potato, chicken curry, pork soup, cream croquette, Mont Blanc, like every dish that's being described by the characters. And all of them do a really good job of explaining the textures, the flavors, the contrasting thing. The thing I really love about the show is that it doesn't just describe dishes. It also gives like recommendations for like sides or extra flavors to add on top of it that you may want to try at home. And the entire cast rises to that occasion, gives a variety of voices to the variety of characters. Nobody, almost nobody sounds out of place. Um, the only one that sounded like maybe not quite what the Japanese was going for was there's an episode where uh, it's the Scotch egg episode where the character of Emilio comes across a Lamia and he's having trouble because people keep thinking he's a girl just based on his like, you know, his look and his voice. But the voice and I didn't look up who voiced him. I should probably do that. Clifford uh, Chapin. Like, Clifford Chapin. Thank you. It's like, th that's clearly a guy. Like, it it's not am um, ambiguous enough. It's not, you know, in between male or female to confuse the two. Um, but that's, that's a one-shot character. That's a one-episode character. That's not a huge thing. For the most part, everyone's performances rise up to this uh, healing anime, making you hungry by describing dishes and bouncing off of each other with different personality traits that are united in their love for good cooking. Amen. Hmm. Yeah, so. I like how they like just bounce the flavor this flavors of this show without muddling anything. Like basically they <laughs> I guess in a sense they let the dish dish dishes speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. And how it just like kinda of brought everybody together in this setting because if anybody else would, would write the show, it would not have come off as well as it did. It, it takes a special kind of something to just, like, make everything cohesive and enjoyable because there are food shows, then there are food shows, and <laughs> some of them, like, either play up the food for, I guess, comedy or, like... I I, it's hard to describe. I just know that when you watch the food-based show, you gotta make not only the food tied to the character development, but you gotta make sure it ties into the the or whatever plot is there as well. Because at the end of the day, if you watch a restaurant to another world, you gotta be intrigued by not only the food but the ambiance, the setting, if you will. And, if even and even if and if even one thing falls apart, the whole show falls apart. Really. See, I theorized while watching this that uh, the writing process from like the original story was that they would think of a dish that they wanted to integrate into the story first, and then backtrack like how it could be fit into the story overall and. Um, like, if they couldn't think of a pre-existing character who it, uh, that dish would be tied into, they'd make a new one. So, in that sense, the whole show is really a catalog for different dishes that you at home might like to try. Because they're very simple and... Uh, not si Well, not 
entirely simple, but you can make this in your home. There's no one dish, I feel like, in this entire show that you yourself, as even a basic cook, I'm talking to the audience, not you, Jamal, I know you're, you're much higher than that, couldn't go into your kitchen and prepare yourself. Yeah, the only thing I ask is don't ask to have something to wrap on the weekend because I will fucking scream. <laughs> yes, make sure to tip your cooks well, people. And not overwork them. So, yeah. So, yeah, they that's, may, that, yeah, they may be there for you, but don't take advantage of them. So. Absolutely. And I, this is why I try to tip very well when I go out to eat. Yep. But uh, here's a tip for you, audience. If you want to see the show for yourself, uh, it's just moved to the the show entire show itself. Just moved to the Crunchyroll app. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't have the pricing structure I had, but I know at the very least it's seven ninety nine a month. Prices may be set to increase soon, but uh, be wary of that. Uh, if you still have the Funimation app, you can probably still watch it until. You know, they decides to close down, you know. They've been teasing that for, what's it been, like, almost a year now, and it still hasn't happened? Basically, they have the master key and haven't decided to break it yet, you know? <laughs> exactly. They haven't They haven't broken the master key from the, the streaming portal to another world. But if you are, but if you are on the show for yourself, season one is available on Blu-ray, right stuff, or wherever you get your anime. The manga and the light the light novel was are also available digitally and also at right stuff, or wherever you purchase really? your manga from. I think they also came out with a new edition version of it too. Anyway, that's where you can find Restaurant to Another World. Where you can find us, however, is on YouTube at Dub Talk Podcast, on Twitch, on, <laughs> on also on our alternate channel at Dub Talk Games. Oh, Dub Talk Gaming. Double yeah. check. Yeah. Uh, on <laughs> somehow on Tumblr because it's starting to make a resurgence again. I wonder why. I wonder why people are coming back to Tumblr. I see somebody in the southern continent that pissed some people off, so, uh... <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. We rarely use Instagram, but who knows the way things are going. We can also be found yeah. on Twitter at DubTalk Podcast. I don't remember if I mentioned that. Yeah, basically, if you see the handle DubTalk anywhere around the World Wide Webs, it's probably us. Yeah. The Dub Talk Podcast can also be found on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Podbean. As for what we get up to, I can be found on Twitter Jamstar529, on YouTube at Jamstar1. If you want to find me on Facebook, just uh, DM me and I'll give you my name. Uh, I'm going to scorch stuff with Twitter. I don't care what happens. I'm going to be that that guy that <laughs> left that last guy remaining on Channel Awesome. I'm doing all that Twitter quotes. <laughs> You're going to be the Guru Larry of the Twitter Exodus, huh? Yeah, because I don't trust Instagram with my photos. <laughs> <laughs> As you probably shouldn't. I mean, I don't know if you really should trust any social media network at all, but there are some you can trust more than others. 
Um, you can follow me on Twitter. Um, I also do not intend to leave exactly just yet. Uh, at Noah Clue. Um, don't have an incentive to really go anywhere else, but I am on Discord. So if you look up uh, Noah Clue number 0008, uh, that is my account. Um, you know, if, you feel free to send me a friend request. If I know you, I'll probably add you on. And if I don't, just send a nice message and I'll think about it. Um, but f And uh, as we're wrapping up here, Jamal, may I please do the honors of calling out the Dub Talk patrons who helped make this episode possible? Yes, please. All right. So, as Jamal mentioned, we also have a Patreon account um, where we uh, release the episodes early and also have a bi-monthly poll for a special patron chosen episode. So if you'd be interested in that, you can sign up for Patreon. Like these amazing individuals, starting with our $5 tier, we want to give a big thank you to Julia W., Michelle Travis, Victor Mayberoda, Megan's mom and dad, and Nico Robin, but with Yowie hands. And then we want to give an even bigger thank you to our $10 patrons. These are the best of the best people who donate a little bit extra to get the episodes early and also get to be part of that special poll I mentioned. So those people are Jared Hawkins, Crimson Echidna, Carly Lestikow, Otaku Anthony, Anthony Brown, Marissa Lenti, and Jacob Wilson. Thank you guys so much for helping us out and for continuing to be amazing individuals. We could not do the special Thanksgiving episode without you. You get an extra drumstick. Yes, folks, just remember, Thanksgiving is good for two things. Food and animals. Now, if you excuse me, I have to pull Mariah Carey out the freezer. Oh, no, 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 I'm still winning the Mariah Carey Bowl. I don't want to lose just yet. Not at least until the day after Thanksgiving. I've resisted putting up the decorations. So, from all of us here at Dub Talk, we wish you a good night. Otaku on. Keep on eating. Aloha. Don't be afraid to try cooking. I mean, if demons from another world can do it, so can you. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Aloha. Hey, that's my line. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha.